Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. What an effort. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Happy to be back, happy to be talking Ravens football. Not as happy with the result this weekend, with the Ravens falling at home to the loathsome rival Steelers. I just kicked a chair by accident, uh, definitely subconscious. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, starting with Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you doing? I don't even know why you have to ask that. Um, Horrible. I'm depressed. I'm down completely on this team. Antonio, you usually do a lot of the legwork in trying to keep up the positivity on Pod Like a Raven, Um, especially for people who just listen to this and maybe don't know us in our personal lives. Last year was great, and they didn't have to see a lot of this negativity. Well, you're in for it today. If you want to be sad, play Sound of Silence on a loop or listen to Pod Like a Raven today because I think uh, think it's going to be – pretty depressing but we have to get into it we got to take the wins with the losses so i'm gl- i'm happy to be here talking to you guys uh, other than doing anything else i'll say that it was a sad game i i am coming in with a lot of optimism today i i sort of felt that in the uh the half an hour leading up to the show i don't know if it was partially because i thought it was going to be necessary to counterbalance what else happened on the episode but i'm just going to try to see you know silver lining some some happiness here and there uh, to balance things out with what Tim may say and what with uh, our other co-host who has had some thoughts as the weekend came to an end, and that's Jace Evans over on the West Coast. Jace, how, e- easy there, but how, how are you doing? Uh, similar to Tim, I think um, I was probably uh, on Sunday the most distraught I think I've been <laughs> over a, a football game in several years. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I... It's never fun to lose to the Steelers. It's never fun to lose to the Steelers in a particularly painful way. They all seem to somehow end up painful when you lose to them. But this one uh, was especially aggravating. But um, to your point, there are a few positives I think we can take out of this. And 
Uh, so I'm ready to dive in the good and the bad. Uh, we've described this show as a therapy session at times, especially after this Chiefs game earlier this season. So I, uh, I think this will be beneficial for all of us. So I'm excited to get into it. The real issue for Jace is that on this show last week, he picked the Ravens <laughs> to not only win, but to cover in a Steelers game. And that, I think, has unfortunately set up the sort of double punch a double gut punch for Jace there because he was going in. Tim and I, I mean, Tim, I'll say, at least was maybe half prepared for, for a Steelers victory since since he went against the Ravens line. But Jace is just, um, yeah, we were shocked by how optimistic you were last week. And unfortunately, you had to pay for it double what you would normally. But all right, let's get into this game. I feel like the, you know, we, we analyze these games differently week by week. I feel like in this game, the best way to go about it is half by half, because in a way, it was a tale of two halves uh, on either side of the ball. So starting with the the first half, guys, I'm going to get gen- general thoughts offensively and defensively, but just in a few quick points, Lamar, uh, we can talk about him throughout this episode. Some good, some bad, some very bad. Pick six on... The first, I want to say his second throw of the game, if not his first throw of the game, to to put the Ravens down in a 7-0 hole. But then a couple of good drives by by the Ravens' offense in the first half, put some points on the board, and defensively, absolutely just pitching a shutout through 30 minutes, which is something I don't, I mean, we thought the defense has had its bright moments and its weak moments, but throwing a shutout against this Steelers offense through 30 minutes was about as well as they could have possibly done. So thoughts quickly, or quickly, take your time even, but thoughts on uh, the first half of this game offensively and defensively. Um, I mean, it's, it's a first half thought because it started right at the beginning of the game. It also happened a little later in the half, and we will get into it as an overarching topic. But I'm going to go negative immediately. Lamar Jackson is the reason we lost this game. Um, straight up and credit to him for taking the blame and saying it's on me Um, you always want your guy to do that I didn't want to hear any excuses he is single-handedly the biggest reason the Ravens did not pull this game out Um, I thought offensively it was nice to see the running game show up uh, in in a very big way especially in that in that first half you saw a couple drives where it's one of those you know, the offense has kind of seemed off all year in a weird way. Um, and, you know, it, sorry, the pun not intentional there. But they always put together like one or two drives where it's like, all right, they're finally clicking a little bit. They're finally clicking a little bit. And you saw that a couple times here. Um, you know, J.K. Dobbins, a guy that we'll definitely talk about, probably the only bright spot for me in this football game. Um, but the first half for me, it left me the taste in my mouth which unfortunately came to fruition of they should be winning by more they are leaving the Steelers in this game uh, and frankly there's no way Pittsburgh should be anywhere close as close as they were as the halftime whistle blew and obviously that came to uh, came to hurt the Ravens in the long run in the long run Jason yeah but but that being said I I personally was still all the, you know, it's very frustrating to throw a pick six immediately, especially against the Steelers where you're like, uh, like I thought the Ravens were in for a very long day. But as Antonio mentioned, they they had a great response. They, you know, score on the next drive, um, I believe. Uh, 
or if not two drives later. But uh, yeah, they they were able to answer, and then you go into the half still up ten. That's great. I think like as aggravating as it was, and you should have been up more. You still hit hit, hit the half with a ten point lead. And I think um, as Antonio mentioned and you mentioned. Uh, Credit to the defense for that. The Steelers only had, I believe, 64 total yards. Maybe that was just Roethlisberger, but they were doing almost nothing. They were not great. Roethlisberger didn't look great in the first half. Um, It looked like he was even, uh, they were working his elbow out at some point. He got sacked late in uh, the first half, and they just couldn't get anything going. So as frustrated as I was with Lamar's initial turnover and then his, uh, you know, taking points off the board, too, with his triple clutch against Bud Dupree, strip sacks him. Uh, that would look like a Joe Flacco special from back in the day, holding too, uh, on to the ball too long. But, uh, you know, that takes at least three off the board, too. Uh, so you should be up more. Uh, you know, it just with basic ball control, you could argue they should have had a, you know, 20-point lead almost. Um, but they're up 17-7. to So I wasn't too distraught at halftime but uh we'll get into the second half because that is when (laughs) emotions were more felt for me i'll say the the i was about to say the flacco fumble because now you just have the like ptsd (laughs) of that the the lamar jackson fumble that's on a second uh a second and goal from the pittsburgh eight yard line so three points are guaranteed at that stage a touchdown is likely at that stage, and it's the type of play that Lamar's been okay. He's been pretty good with it. I feel like there's a very clear line between quarterbacks who just have no idea that there's any sort of pressure. They have no sense of it, no feel of it whatsoever. He's pretty good at sensing that, keeping the eyes downfield and sensing the rush. And he had done it right the first time, right? He had avoided <laughs> it the first time. That's his skill. That's his talent of being able to feel it and step up in the pocket I'm not a football player. I don't know the speed of the NFL. But assuming that player has just disappeared and they're not going to keep coming back to you on that play is so frustrating to watch. And then you see something like that in slow motion and it seems like you had so much time to get rid of the ball after that or to do something or to go down. And that is an issue that happened later in this game. It happened multiple times where he wasn't necessarily caught by what he's done where he tries to make plays on every single play. He does not like throwing the ball away. He does not like taking a sack. He does not like, you know, doing taking, taking a one-yard run uh, instead of throwing the ball into double coverage or something like that. And that happened with a few throws where he was in the grasp while about to be sacked, and one of the times they called it a sack anyway. The other time he threw a duck to Andrews that he somehow <laughs> caught. It was third and, like, 15 you don't need to throw (laughs) a a two yard duck to get into third and 10 or or fourth and 10 or something like that just hang on to the ball so those kind of plays he's been okay with over his career but just happened in this game at the absolute worst moments I couldn't disagree with you guys more about the and and maybe I'm being unfair here to to the two of you you're saying all this stuff about he's been pretty good about all this stuff in his career and that's great but he has proven time and again now, and I'm Seattle game and New England game aside, where he didn't even throw for that many yards. If you go back and look at those last year, there's something with the big game, and now it's becoming a thing. And now it is, now it's worrisome. Where it's not only he played bad, he was atrocious in this game. You look at the stats: thirteen to twenty-eight, two hundred eight, uh, two hundred eight yards, the two touchdowns, great. 
the two picks. He took four sacks, and we'll get into the offensive line later. Uh, and some of those are his own fault, as you rightly point out, Antonio, where he's trying to pull the, what I like to call Carson Wentz and just do everything <laughs> by himself. And then the fumble. But it's also the way he plays. And I don't know if it's – you know what? I'm not going to blame the offensive line here. I'm not going to do it because I thought they were actually okay. His eyes start to go down way faster in these big moments in these big games where I think he's an okay, pretty effective pocket passer. But all of a sudden he freaks out and then you don't see the magic of Lamar where he breaks out to the right, makes a guy miss, and maybe gains – six yards when there was negative two there you saw it one or two times but in these massive games he's flustered there's no other way to put it he is flustered and I tell you what that every game now until he proves it every game that we go up against a good opponent I hate that I'm saying this I do not have faith in Lamar Jackson that he can win that football game I think there's other factors that can help the Ravens win strong running game obviously good defense the turnovers which I mean the amount, the, the streak now is what, at like 20 games where they forced a turnover or 18 games or something like that, uh, at least one turnover per game, is insane. That stuff is going to end eventually. When it comes down to Lamar Jackson, until he shows it, I am officially out on trusting him to make the big plays when he needs to. I, I'm out. I'm done. It's And I, I hate saying it. I hate saying it on this pro Ravens podcast. But people have to hear it. He stunk yesterday. He was horrific. He couldn't make any throw. He had nine or ten, not even when he's being sacked or pressured, just bad balls. They had the third and two to Andrews where if there's a miscommunication, that's got to fall on the quarterback too because there's been too many of them this year where Andrews had to run a slant route and he stopped and, and Lamar overthrew him and that and the, the team goes off the field and gives Pittsburgh another, another chance at, at scoring. It's just for as well as the defense played, and we'll get into them in the second half because they, they failed to show up for, for two halves of football. For as well as the defense played in that first half, to me, it almost felt like they lost it there because because of how poor he was and then continued to be throughout this game. I would not. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to go that far. I, I, you know, I think he had some bad throws. I think he had some fantastic throws in the same game. So he can. He. I agree. He's had some bad plays and has gotten flustered. I don't think it happened on every play. I mean, he had an awesome touchdown pass to Boykin. Um, he had a really good end of the second half drive um, on the fourth. I think it's a fourth and two. He had a really awesome deep throw um, in between, like in between the safeties and, and the linebackers, um, and some throws to the sidelines. He got them down to the twenty yard line in less than a minute. I mean, these are things against the Steelers defense. Um, I think he did a lot of things well. I agree. It's an interesting point, Tim. About do you trust him to win the big game? Do you trust at, him to win the big game? I mean, as like. In, in compared to what? Like any replacement quarterback? Anybody right. else? Or just the guy so, that we have at the moment? Let's go Thanksgiving night. Thanksgiving night. Steelers oh, I'm picking I, I have them winning that game. Absolutely. Because they split Steelers games over <laughs> for as long as we've been alive. All right. So you're that's hopping out of the question, and that's fine. But well, I. Well, ask it next, again. What am I. What am I, I just said they're right. winning that game. Let's pull up the Ravens schedule. Because, be, well, because your reason is that they split, they split Steelers games. Let's. Let's say they win this game. Well, I guess that, that changes the narrative. I don't know. Let's say Titans. They have the Titans here in a couple weeks. Do you trust him in a big moment, down seven or down six or whatever it is, and they have the ball in his hands, and he has to make plays to win them a game? I'm not even saying like a two-minute drive. I'm saying there could be six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and he has to make 
that drive to win them a football game, I, I'm, and I hope he pulls me back in. And trust me, the first time he does it, I'm all the way back in because I'm a <laughs> fan of this team and that's how this works. But at the moment right now, I'm completely out. I do not trust him to make those key plays in big games to win them football games. Um, 1,000% in uh, on okay. him to make big plays. I think he's 23 years old, and we are expecting a lot from him to like not make mistakes or, or try to do too much. I think this is happening a lot of reasons because he's a young guy who, frankly, has still not really started a lot of games in the NFL, is not a like developed, mature NFL player. Um, those big wins are going to come as he gets older and older and as he gets through the losses – Really good quarterbacks have started out really bad. This is a really good young quarterback who's had a lot of wins, has made a ton of plays, and yes, we'll have some really atrocious plays that we've seen now where a little bit of the protection is coming off. Last year and maybe in his rookie year, there was a lot less on his shoulders. Now it's starting to be, you know, you're in the development stage. They want you to take step ups. They want you to make more plays, and with that, more mistakes have been made. Um but the one, the, the one issue that I wanted to talk about before, the, the, there is a lack of communication a lot on, on this offense, specifically on pass plays. And I th- this is my hypothesis of it, because some of the guys he's had for years, like they know each other, they should be on the same page, him and Andrews. The Boykin stuff, not in this game, but before, where he thinks it's a different call and he's running, you know, he's blocking downfield and it's a pass play to him. I wonder, and I'll use this as a pivot question, we can move on from it, but I just sort of wonder if part of that is not, you're not really sure what Lamar is going to do because he, the play breaks down and he runs a lot. He, he doesn't throw it within the system because he's a backyard football kind of player. So the Andrews play, for example, a very microcosm type play. It's a fourth and, or a third and two, I believe. Um, maybe second down, I don't remember actually the down and distance, but it's a short uh, amount of yards to gain where Andrews does stop instead of just running the route. The only thing I would think of that is Andrews hesitates because he thinks Lamar is going to run with it and he has to decide whether to block or whether to run. And that happens a lot. And I have no other explanation for why a guy wouldn't just keep running his five yard route on a, on a second and two, third and two type situation. But Anyway, we'll turn to Jace uh, here on, on his thoughts on all this, on, on what, in or out on Lamar Jackson in a big moment. Well, I was going to go with the, uh, the ultimate cop-out and say, uh, I don't know, and I think you guys are both right in certain respects. I think... Boo! <laughs> I, th- I think Lamar is a very young player, still a very young quarterback, you know. It's been said a lot, but it almost is an internet meme, but he is younger than Joe Burrow. Um, this year's number one overall pick. He's a young guy and he still clearly has room to develop, but, and to your point, Tim, I don't know if I trust him in these moments because we really haven't seen him, you know, pull off the big come from behind thing in his career. Um, you know, last year in Pittsburgh, they do win. He leads them down, uh, for a game tying field goal and they win that game in overtime. Um, but he, I guess he hasn't had, like, you know, this whole conversation changes if he just hits Sneed for, like, an incredible touchdown or any of those other receivers. And we say, oh, wow, look how clutch Lamar was. Uh, and I think, to Antonio's point, I think he did make some good plays in this game. But I think it's unquestioned that they lost uh, Sunday's game because of him. The turnovers were unacceptable. But I think you just look at the yards disparity and... 
you know, he's the QB. I know a lot of it came on the ground, but, you know, through his running, he had 208 yards, which was actually his most passing yards in a few games, I feel like. Uh, I I thought he made some plays, even with only 13 completions. Uh, He had some really nice throws in there. Um, You know, the deep pass to DuVernay, he had like a slingshot sidearm thing while like running to Andrews on a third down conversion. I thought he made enough plays... And more importantly, like, he, he did make enough plays because they should have won this game. If he just doesn't turn the ball over, they win this game by 10 to 14. And I, I think I think that's a separate thing than he can't win. It's he made mistakes. It's like, it's I still think he made plays, but he made the mistakes that cost them. And I think there's no question he is to blame for Sunday's loss. That, that's the problem, though, Jace. The big plays are negated by the turnovers. You can make all the big plays you want. You turn the ball over yourself three times, all three of them inexcusable, inexcusable, flat out 100% his fault on all three of those. I don't care how many big plays you make. Jonas Schaefer from, or Schaffer, excuse me, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize, from the Baltimore Sun, puts it the same way you did. Ravens outgained the Steelers 457 to 221. But you know what? And this is at Tim Horsey. It doesn't mean a damn thing when you turn the ball over that many times. It it just doesn't. I'm sorry. Well, and this is not a fluke for me. And again, we don't have to debate this over and over again. And look, I like that we disagree on this a little bit because we do agree a lot on this show. And it's not always the most fun for the listener, although I think we are very insightful here on Pod Like a Raven. The fact of the matter is, in these big moments, you can't keep not showing up. You can't keep telling me, He's a young guy. You can't keep telling because I'm ti- I'm tired of hearing the haters. I'm tired of you know your quarterback can't throw the ball. I work with a Pittsburgh fan and a New England fan. It's infuriating listening to them every week about how the MVP is a fluke. Like I can't believe he won that. He's not that great. Yada yada yada. I had a meeting today with one of the Pittsburgh guys, and I just had to shut my mouth the entire time because I was so frustrated. But you know what? I'm frustrated because he hasn't broken that stigma yet. And I want him to so bad. I love him as the quarterback. I'm not one of these idiots saying start Trace McSorley or anything like that. Or, (laughs) oh, let's put RG3 in there. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. But you got to show it at some point. And and Antonio, I will say, to to end this on a positive note, I completely agree with the young guys. You know, Manning was historically bad uh, early parts of his career. And I, you know, I sort of trust that maybe he will improve a little bit in that. And the other one, too, um, that, you know, in the text thread, I won't go into everything Jace said in the text thread, but it was pretty legendary. We're going to have to do a Patreon reward for just to be in the pod like a Raven group text when <laughs> the Ravens are losing. <laughs> I mean, I would I would throw some text back at you, Jace, for, for your take on you trust in Lamar because uh, you didn't at 3.41 p.m. Eastern time yesterday, but that's a whole different story. Uh, I will say one of the things he said, Matt Sakura, get off my team because he negated one of the be- one of the most beautiful Lamar runs I've seen in my lifetime. Hey, we did it against that defense was incredible. And I still love the guy, but man, it's just it's disappointing that the stigma hasn't been broken yet, that he can't do it in the big moment. And and frankly, I'm starting to believe. Well, and I'll give you some credit, Tim, because his interception coming out the half is, I think, maybe the worst turnover uh, in his entire career, it was. Just... It might be the worst turnover in Ravens history. Like it might be that bad. <laughs> it was. It was just you're up ten. The defense just forces a three and out, 
And literally the first offensive play, he tries to just fit it in there and does it. And then two plays later, complete coverage bust. It's a three-point game. And to just start the second half like that, uh, just, there was... That that's probably the three forty one text. I assume I don't know what I said, but uh, that was definitely the high point of me being frustrated with them yesterday. Uh, and honestly, probably the angriest I think I've been just at any one Lamar play in the three years he's been the quarterback of the Ravens. That was inexcusable, so, and it directly like helped cost them the game. Let's move on, but we are teasing this text thread, so I do have to say what you said here, and, and I will say I have to. Uh paraphrase just a little bit because <laughs> um antonio so i texted actually it starts with me is lamar trying to throw this game uh antonio goes horrendous Ant- antonio keeps it short and simple but he probably says the most prophetic things on here because it's just jace and i just rambling for four hours i can't imagine how fun that is for him jace goes he did the exact same thing against them last year there's one later that says him having his worst games against the steelers is going to kill me or i believe that was a tweet from at jace t evans on twitter uh, he did the exact same thing against him last year. I'm increasingly starting to think we're going to go 11-5 and five every year and never beat a winning team. Lamar needs to effing get better. We're going to lose, so once they score here, they should just call the game to avoid injuries. And that was halftime, mid-third quarter at the latest because it was a long game. Jace calling for a game to be called <laughs> via text is basically Jace like on Twitter th- Six years ago? Jace, does that sound about right? Like yeah. that exact message for various local sporting events? Yeah, the, 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 the texts have become what the tweets used to be, I think. Which is for, which is for the best. Listen, I, I, I agree. Let's talk about the defense. The la- my little last nugget on Lamar here is, Tim, I hate, I hate the haters. I hate the haters talking about he can't throw the football, he's a running back. I, we see it way more often than we need to. However... As Lamar, if he gets better and better, if he takes the leap, he is never going to be the 35 of 40 for 350 yards and four touchdown passes. That is never, his ceiling, his absolute ceiling is not that type of player. What he can do very, very easily is eliminate these quote-unquote horrendous turnovers that taking those out of the game by themselves He's so talented in every other thing that he does. That's how they went 14-2. and two. He didn't turn the ball over. He ran a lot, and he made a couple of nice throws per game, and that was enough to blow teams out. We need that, at least. And as he progresses, as they want him to take on more of this offense, he has to work harder and better and be more focused and concentrated on eliminating these bonehead interceptions and fumbles, which he had in that game and which cost them the game ended up you could say swinging at least 17 points and maybe even 20 points could the the game could have gone 20 points in the other direction if he minimizes mistakes but defensively shut out in the first half not a shutout in the second half overall though i would argue still a pretty good performance by them specifically that last drive being able to get the ball back getting a three and out um and, and giving the Ravens one last chance. But there are things to, to talk about with this defense, too, as what, what they can improve on, what they have to work on, uh, and what didn't go well, specifically in the second half of this ballgame. So what were your thoughts uh, defensively? Yeah, if we ended this conversation after the end of the second quarter, I'm, I'm saying Ravens defense back. And, you know, that's without Matthew Judon, who got ejected. Um, real quickly, my thoughts on that. And we forgot that happened. <laughs> 
you listen, if you listen to Pod Like a Raven, you know my thoughts on Matthew Judon. <laughs> I cannot wait for him to be out of the purple and black uniform and go get paid like Paul Kruger, and ne- you never hear from him ever again because he's no good. Um, he's as Jace has put out a number of times on this podcast, or maybe in texts. For me, definitely, and I might be speaking for you too, Mr. Evans, my least favorite decent Ravens player um, of all time. Look, just on that quickly, he he didn't intentionally hit the referee, but they have to do a black and white, you touch him, you're done type of thing. And I understand why, even though I was furious with the referees in some moments of this game, and we'll get to that whole debate later in the show. Um, yeah, Antonio, I love you, man. You always point out the positives. They do give them the ball back uh, when they needed to late in the game to give us a chance to win. But Big Ben, second half, 17 of 22 for 158 yards and two touchdowns after basically completely shutting out this offense. You look at some of the stats. Chase Claypool, who the way that man celebrated, skyrocketed up my list of (laughs) let's get some Steelers that we don't like anymore. Uh, Juju, seven catches for 67 yards. Eric Ebron, four catches for 48 yards in the tutty where nobody covered him. I mean, it's funny. We we talked over and over again about the defensive line issues, and then Ngakwe comes in, and that I thought he played pretty well. We can talk about him a little bit too. But for the second year in a row, the Ravens have a load of depth in the secondary, and then all of a sudden it gets depleted with one or two injuries. Uh, Terrell Bonds is not an NFL caliber player. I think every time he was on the field, he was targeted. I was sitting there with a bunch of friends watching the game, and every time you could see 28, you're like, they're throwing to Claypool or throwing to Schuster or whoever he was covering on that play. Um, And then this all comes with the news, and we'll get into it in the preview a little bit, that Marlon Humphrey on Monday tested positive for coronavirus. Him breaking the news on his own Twitter, hey, I've got the Rona, I'll be back soon, which – Shout out Marlon Humphrey. I still love the guy, and we, we obviously hope he's feeling okay and he, and he recovers quickly. But that is just going to exploit that even more. So it's – overall, I think I would give the B, the defense like a solid B, but it's annoying because it was an A+, maybe even an A++. And the second half dragged that down so, so much. I think that's, for me, what it – I'd go the exact same grade because I thought overall they played really well. I thought we got a great Marcus Peters game. He had, he had a, his own kind of uh, fruit punch kind of moment there in the first half. Uh, yeah, I thought Peters played really well and they targeted him. They barely threw at Marlin, it seemed, uh, during the game. Um, but you're right. They targeted, you know, and this is why, and I think throughout his career, obviously Ben Roethlisberger and I think gives us hope for Lamar. Ben Roethlisberger is a significantly smarter football player now than he was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, even. Um, Cause yeah, he just took advantage. He can't throw that deep anymore, but he was able to just kind of take what they gave him and didn't make mistakes. Um, and, you know, gets the ball out and doesn't take sacks or, you know, throw crazy heaves or anything like that. Even like he maybe once did, he just kind of, Takes it short, takes what's given to him. And I think in the second half for me, in terms of the defense, just what was disappointing, and I know this is coming from, you know, a spoiled Ravens fan who watched Ed Reed and Ray Lewis for the first, what, 17 years of the franchise or whatever it was. Um, Just in the second half, when you really needed a play, 
uh, or a big stop, it didn't come until it was almost too late. Um, you know, it would have been great if someone, you know, picks off a pass or forces a fumble on either of the, what, three, two go-ahead Steelers touchdown drives they had. Um, but it just didn't happen. So that was upsetting. But that's, I think, more a, a me problem than a, a game problem. Because I think overall, you look at the yards they gave up, you look at even the, just the the 28 points, um, especially because you could argue 14 of them was hardly their fault. Um, I think on the whole, you have to say they played pretty well. Um, but it still would have been nice if, you know, as bad as Lamar played in the second or with some of those turnovers, if they were able to bail him out once or twice, but it didn't fully happen in the second half. Yeah, I'm, I'm going, I was going to give my own grade for how the defense played. I, I want to give them a higher grade just because again, I, I skew optimistic. We're like different poles that skew different ways. <laughs> but, and Jace, you, you said the only th- argument I was going to make is that seven of the 28 points were literally scored with the defense on the sidelines. Another touchdown was on an extremely short field. And then they gave up two, they had two sustained touchdown drives that the Steelers had. I I don't set the bar, I can't set the bar at perfection for an entire game, especially when it's a Steelers game, when you know they're going to make a comeback, they're going to score at some point. Um, But the timing of those two touchdown drives sure wasn't good. Uh, you know, having one happen, if not both of them, uh, having one of them happen, you know, in the fourth quarter with, with, with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter was when Pittsburgh does take a lead. I guess, you know, that is when you would like the big play and what hurt both of those drives that we can talk about now for a little bit is, uh, penalties. Both of those long drives had, I believe, multiple penalties, yeah, there were pass interference, some face masks. on both. And those have been a Raven staple for as long as, as, long as we can remember. Um, but thoughts on the penalties, both, you know, we can talk about it from the part that we don't like about the refs as well as from the part that we don't like about Ben Roethlisberger and the part of the defense being better. Because this is not the first time this has happened this season where they've given up these sort of long pass interference penalties. So thoughts on uh, the penalties on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if we're just talking defensive side of the ball... I just, when there's hand fighting between both of them and it's that even and it's that little, you have to stop calling it because it's just, I get everything benefits the offense. I understand people want points. I understand that. But we joke about like the Joe Flacco offense. It was on steroids in this game for Ben Roethlisberger. Every time he lofted a ball up, these referees, and I would love to see the stats and they haven't come out yet. I would love to see the stats on that crew of, that crew especially because in the heat of the moment admittedly say some things you don't want to i'm always like <laughs> the reps we're not here to see you nobody is here to watch you nobody cares about you in this stadium they just want these two teams to go at each other and it's it sometimes it just feels like not to be this fan it feels like they're just there to get on the cameras now you take a step back you get out of the heat of the moment and you realize that a lot of it is just undisciplined, unforced errors. I mean, defensively, you're talking about you're talking about the thin secondary. You're talking about guys like Bonds playing way too much. But even like the the one, the first one on Peters was an it was a joke. And luckily, like the next play, he forces the fumble on Claypool, which I love. But some of these where they're going up, and I said this last week as well. You can't reward or two weeks ago, I believe, because the buy. 
you cannot reward bad quarterback play. If a ball is uncatchable, and I know sometimes you like you're holding the receiver back, so that's why it looks uncatchable. That's not what I'm talking about. The balls that are clearly uncatchable, and the two guys are just slapping each other's hands, basically, and you call it anyway, even though the guy would have never caught it. I don't care if he's Megatron mixed with Julio Jones, mixed with Randy Moss. The guy's not coming down with that football. That is the stuff that infuriates me. That being said, I mean, just to take it from a general standpoint, too, some of this is just execution, Antonio. You mentioned it before in the passing game, and I want to turn it a little bit to the offense, too, just for the penalty conversation. How many illegal formations and illegal shifts has this team had in the last two games? It's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. These are penalties that the Jets get. These are penalties that, <laughs> whoa, God forbid, whoa, God forbid whoa. the Cleveland Browns Wait a minute. I, no, I'm not. I'm dead serious. In this aspect of the game, that stuff has to be cleaned up. Not lining enough guys up on the line. Two guys shifting at once. What are we talking about, guys? Like, that's, that is Pop Warner-level crap that they're being penalized for. I mean, we, we haven't mentioned it yet. Nine penalties for 110 yards, and it's the second game in a row that's been completely undisciplined. And again, two weeks ago, after the Eagles game, I sat here on this podcast and I said, the one thing I am way more confident in in terms of the defense struggling or the penalties, oh, Harbaugh will get that cleaned up. Good coach. He'll get that cleaned up. It's two weeks in a row. It's got to get cleaned up now. It has to stop now or this team isn't going anywhere. I mean, it's just shooting yourselves in the foot. And, you know, if you're a Ravens fan listening to this podcast and you're over the age of, I don't know, seven, you've watched the Ravens shoot themselves in the foot and lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's just it's a classic theme that is probably going to haunt this team for the rest of time. And it's it's just it's the worst. It's the worst. In in terms of the defensive pass interference, it does seem like it is getting called a lot this year, just across the NFL. And I don't know if that's just a response to them removing pass interference reviews uh, to make everyone happy. They're just throwing the flag all the time <laughs> to not have people mad at them or what the deal is. Um, but I will say, because I've seen this come up and then a big discussion was... Uh, the final play on Willie Sneed, there was a sizable contingent of people online adamant that that was some type of penalty. I didn't see it. But, uh, you know, all that being said, they do have to clean up the penalties, but that is not why they lost this game. They lost this game because they had four turnovers by Lamar Jackson. Because uh, they had such a huge yards discrepancy, the penalties shouldn't have played a factor. And because they turned the ball over, it did. And that's, you know, that's why it's a total team game, right? The defense commits penalties. The offense turns the ball over. And in the end, you lose by four points to your biggest rival. So that was incredibly frustrating. But I personally do not feel, for as aggravating as the penalties were, that that is why they lost on Sunday. Last few points on this game, guys, as as we wrap up, uh, you know, Steelers week, so to speak. J.K. Dobbins. We, we like him very much, and he is looking better and better and better. Finally, a game with Ingram being out uh, with an injury. Dobbins, 15 carries, 113 yards on the day. A couple of losses that we need to talk about as well outside of the game is loss of players. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, with what is now officially a broken ankle, suffered in the first half of that game. 48 hours after signing his extension to be on the radio. I guess we could have announced the extension news here at some point, too, but 
The good news is that Ronnie Stanley is going to be a Raven for a long time. The bad news is we won't see him for a long time because he's out for the rest of the season. With that injury, Tyree Phillips also getting knocked out of this game. I I, I don't know if there's a status on Phillips uh, moving forward, but thoughts on Dobbins, guys. Thoughts on this offensive line moving forward. They had to shuffle a lot of things around. I thought Orlando Brown Jr. played okay at left tackle. It's I, I is it scary that he's now the blindside guy for the rest of the season? What what is this offensive line gonna gonna do moving forward? It's it's definitely a little scary, for sure. Um I, I like Orlando Brown. He was a pro bowler last season. He's a very solid player and uh, if you're gonna have a guy default to left tackle rather than your all pro left tackle, I, uh, he's about as good an option as you can have. Um, that being said, uh, I am very concerned when it comes to pass protection with this team. Ronnie Stanley was an exceptional pass uh, blocker. He was one of the best in the NFL. It was like him and Laramie Tunsil uh, were T- uh, PFF's two highest graded pass blockers. Uh, and he's obviously a great run blocker too. Um, and clearly their best offensive lineman. Uh, so I am glad he got his money, you know, second highest, uh, paid tackle per, per year in the league now, uh, over nearly 70 million guaranteed going to be on the Ravens for a long time, which is great. And, you know, if all goes well, he should be fine. His ankle heal up. But for this season, I almost wonder if it changes the Ravens offensive approach because, you imagine DJ Fluker is going to be the team's right tackle going forward um, with Phillips in and out. Who knows? He's been seemingly injured every week. But what surprised me, especially once Stanley went down Sunday, is how well the Ravens ran the ball. They ran so well. 47 carries, what, 265 uh, total yards, I believe. Um yeah, 265 yards against what I believe was, you know, top three run defense going in. Um, and so, but they did still struggle at times with pass protection. And that's obviously being Stanley's forte. I almost wonder if now we see the team just lean on the run because it works so well against a team that's so good um, against the run. And just because it plays to the strength. Because Fluker has always been a good run blocker. Notably not a great <laughs> pass protector. Uh, and that kind of, you know, it's funner to run block. It's a little e- almost easier because you're the you're the guy initiating the contact when you're run blocking. Um, so I wonder if that changes their offensive approach. It's obviously something we don't know. We're not in the building, but we'll see. But I think you almost have to think so, especially given how great Dobbins looked. I mean, he looked sensational and we've been wanting him to get more carries his agent has been wanting him to get more carries very vocally on twitter and uh so that's the only thing i wonder with stanley being out is if we do see a more run first approach from this team especially in light of lamar uh his most recent turnover fest here antonio evans i like the optim optimism here because this well here let me explain i think you make bring up a great point it's something that i didn't think about with the stanley injury where You're like, they're running the ball so good. Let's just keep doing that. Then the Ravens will be fine. Everything will be great and merry. Um, Yeah, no, I I kid, of course. Uh, The the run game was awesome. It it, it was probably the best performance that they've had in a while. Again, all the more frustrating that it ended in a loss. But, you know, we've talked about that at length. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is the real deal. He is unequivocally the most fun running back to watch, although I do love a good straight line run from the old Gus bus every once in a while. Uh 
his the worst part of J.K. Dobbins is his agent. His agent is already <laughs> tiresome. At Zach Hill on Twitter, if, if you hate yourself like I do, and he he's six of his last like twelve tweets have been hashtag free J.K. and uh, just quote tweeting different stats that he's had. Although you have to list, you have to read these off. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, fifteen carries and one hundred and thirteen yards, and then from PFF Fantasy Football here uh, for Week Eight. He was first in yards per carry with 7.5. He was second in yards after contact per attempt with 4.3 yards. He was third in overall rushing yards, and he was second in missed tackles with seven. He he forced seven missed tackles. The dude can ball. He's going to be the starter by the end of the year. And just another fantastic pick uh, by Eric DaCosta. With the offensive line stuff, um, you know, I'm still super happy they paid Stanley that money. It is an ankle injury. He's out for the year. They confirmed that right after the game. It's it's going to be tough. Uh, Tyree Phillips, it's a high ankle sprain, kind of like what Mark uh, Ingram is suffering through right now. They don't know if he'll be ready for this week. Um, but they they said, Harbaugh basically said, we have to wait for an MRI. Now, I know two different positions, but Mark Ingram had a high ankle sprain, and he couldn't even make it through a bye week. So that tells me that Tyree Phillips is not going to be playing against the Indianapolis Colts this weekend. And... It's funny, I am. We've talked about the offensive line a lot. Uh, they are now without their two best players from a year ago, and far and away their best offensive lineman and Ronnie Stanley, and then obviously Marshall Yonda, who retired. I'm not optimistic about what this offensive line is going to do. I'm nervous. DJ Fluker is a guard, he's not a tackle. Orlando Brown is a road grader, but how good is he in pass protection? not the best so you know if if you have to spin it the way jace did yeah maybe this forces the team and seriously maybe this forces the team to really run the ball over and over again especially against these teams that really like to get after the quarterback because that line is not there for lamar anymore it's matt sakura who is an average center at best patrick mccarry below average guard bozeman who is a solid NFL player, but nobody spectacular. Orlando Brown out of position and DJ Fluker. We could probably call him a first round bust at this point, uh, based on how his career has gone and based on where he was drafted. So the offensive line going from one of the strongest units of this team to probably its weakest is not good for the development of our young quarterback, Mr. Jackson. So yeah, concerned overall, but like, Jay said because they played so so well when their all pro left tackle went out it gives you a little hope it does it really does and maybe we'll see a little more a little more jk here free jk according to zach hiller maybe we'll see a little bit more of him uh, against the colts this coming weekend if you would have told me and i think all of us that at the end of this game the ravens would have had 10 more minutes in terms of time of possession and outrushed pittsburgh by 215 yards that that would have meant a Ravens victory. I, I think we would have all put a lot of money down for that meaning that the Ravens would win a game and yet fall 28-24 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ravens now 5-2 and two, and with a little bit, of, uh, little bit of work to do if they want to climb back up top the AFC North. With that, let's turn now to our NFL recap and let's talk about the rest of the AFC North. Starting with the Bengals, because they are getting better and better by the week. Burrow is getting better and better by the week. I mean, they're not going to compete for anything this year. They're now 2-5-1, and one, but 
just soul-crushing uh, gambling move by them by beating Tennessee 31-20 in a game that wasn't really close for the majority of this game. Thoughts on the progression of Cincinnati and, and uh, the magic of uh, Joe Burrow? Well, yeah, he's actually good, which is obviously concerning for the Ravens' long-term future, <laughs> having another you know solid quarterback to compete against. It seems like it's hard to imagine he'll backslide too much. He seems to have it all, even with uh, kind of a revolving offensive line in front of him. He's really good. T. Higgins balled out. He had some amazing catches in that game. Um, and the Ravens have to play them in the final game of the regular season once again. It seems like we play Cincinnati every other year in the last game. And that'll be an annoying game because, like you said, the Bengals... The Bengals are in the game every week, pretty much. Uh, they haven't won a ton, but that's not going to be, a, you know, a pushover. So, as we kind of just mentioned, it's increasingly looking like the Ravens will be kind of playing for a wild card berth. Now, effectively two and a half games behind the Steelers, two games real, but they don't have the tiebreaker anymore. Um, so that's annoying. I don't want to play them the last game of the regular season because, yeah, Joe Burrow's good. <laughs> remember when the Ravens defense sacked Joe Burrow seven times and we thought hey big moment for this defense but it's against probably the worst offensive line in football so we'll see the Titans sacked him zero times that's inexcusable Um, Tennessee maybe are frauds maybe just have Derrick Henry and nobody else I don't know they 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 lose that game to Pittsburgh and it almost seems like it's spiraling out of control for them. Um, you know, 18 of 30 for 233, uh, two touchdowns and a pick for Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, another 18 carry 112 yard game, but in a loss, almost in a, in a very Ravens way, you get behind early and it's going to cost you because you can't do the one thing that you do best as much as you'd like to do it. Um, you know, so the the Titans angle I think is interesting to bring up there, and we should do it. But outside of that, you're dead right, Jace. Um, the thing that makes me the most nervous is that Cincinnati has a quarterback. They legitimately have a quarterback, and yet again, it looks like the Browns are in the worst quarterback situation <laughs> at least for the next couple of seasons uh, until Big Ben retires, because Baker Mayfield is clearly fourth if you look at the rankings for AFC North QBs now. That- that was certainly a game they played yesterday, a real high-scoring thriller in uh, Cleveland there. <laughs> yeah, let's turn to that game. I mean, we've, we have a What's Bothering Jace on this show, but if we had, like, a What's Confusing Antonio segment, this would be <laughs> the inaugural episode to throw that out. Because huh? I, underst- I don't understand what happened in this game. So the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Browns 16-6 to uh, this weekend. And the Browns had six possessions total in the game. They had three possessions in the first half. They had three in the second half. They did not throw an interception. Uh, and I, I think they maybe had one turnover in this game. And I don't understand how you only get six possessions. They scored on two of the six possessions. And they still lost by double digits. I, I don't understand. There were all these 10-play, 14-play, 16-play, 12-play drives... And it was a game where it was like three to three, and then it was six to three, and all of a sudden Cleveland was getting blown out because they had no chance of coming back in this game. Baker Mayfield looks very—he looks great one week, and then he looks terrible the other week. He threw for—he was twelve of twenty-five for one hundred and twenty-two yards. 
Kareem Hunt averaged 4.7 yards a carry, but he only had 14 carries in a game that was 3-3. Three to three. I don't know why he doesn't have more carries. I don't understand the Cleveland Browns. And they're now 5-3, and three, and I have no idea if they're going to the playoffs or if they're going to end the season 5-11. and 11. Somebody explain to me what the heck is going on. Please keep believing in the Cleveland Browns. Please. All of you people who keep believing in the Cleveland Browns. This is... I should have bet this game, you know, in our picks... Because this was the lock of the century that everybody goes, oh, Cleveland, 5-2, and two, maybe better without Odell. Baker Mayfield, 23 straight completions, or 22 of 23, and a one was the only one was a spike. Looked like he showed up. The Cleveland Browns will continue to be the Cleveland Browns until the end of time, and it's the only thing in the year of our Lord 2020 that makes any sense is that Cleveland is bad. And will continue to be bad. <laughs> My personal favorite highlight, and admittedly, I can't even remember if it was the Oakland kicker or the Cleveland kicker. It just made me laugh super hard. Was it was so windy in Cleveland that the guy went up to kick. It was either an extra point or a field goal. And it looked like a slider where it starts right and just breaks left and hits the post. And I don't even care which team it was for. The fact that it happened in a Cleveland Browns game was hilarious to me. A, they're not making the playoffs. Get out of here. Like, the, the AFC is so good. Maybe if they played in the NFC East, they would be sitting in a good second place right now behind, I don't know, Danucci or Dwayne Haskins <laughs> or whoever's playing quarterback for the Washington football team at this point. Kyle Allen, excuse me. Um, I, there's, there's nothing to this team. They're still missing Nick Chubb. I think Kareem Hunt's a good running back. But they still have Baker. They still have the problems that come with him. And they still are the Cleveland Browns. So... What else is there that needs to be said? <laughs> I think just from the other side of things, the Raiders, I think, are also a continuously confusing team. They seem to just vacillate wildly between getting blown out and then <laughs> getting wins. They're four and three, but uh, I don't know what I would. I would have probably said they had two wins, but they beat the Chiefs. But then they got blown out by the Bucks at home. They lost to the Bills. They lost to a Patriots team that now looks outright bad. But then they beat the Saints, and they also beat the Panthers. So... I don't I, I don't know what's uh what's going on with the Raiders these days but uh they uh if you're asking why the Browns had so few possessions it was all about ball control for the Raiders they had it for 37-43 yesterday the Browns only had the ball for 22 minutes 17 seconds <laughs> so uh they were just pounding the rock uh with Josh Jacobs he had 31 carries um so, yeah, I mean, I guess credit to Gruden for being like, it's windy as hell, let's just run the ball <laughs> and get out of here uh, with a win. So, the Browns confuse me. I, I don't know who they play this week, but I know we'll be confused by the result one way or the other. But, uh, yeah, it's a very confusing game between two confusing teams. I'm just enjoying the numerous references to the Oakland Raiders because they're oh, the Las boy. Vegas. They've been, in, they've been in Vegas for a few months now as an irrelevant football team. Uh, the Browns, look, Tim, I agree with you that the Browns are not good, are not great. I don't know if I agree with you that they're not going to the playoffs. They still have games against Texans, Eagles, Jaguars, Giants, and Jets. Those are five games they have on the schedule. They have to win four of those? Three of those? But guess who all those teams have to play? The Browns, the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, and the Browns. They will blow... So many of those inexcusable games. Odell will come back against the Giants, and he'll still be kicking the field goal net because he's not getting the ball enough. Like, things will happen. Baker will throw 
three pick sixes in one game and they'll lose to the Jets or somebody terrible. It will happen. Bet on it. It's the Cleveland Browns. And until, again, theme of this podcast from old Tim Horsey over here, until they prove me wrong, until they prove me otherwise, I'm going to keep thinking that way. Elsewhere in the NFL... Uh, Green Bay, just another soul-crushing. Some of us had some of some teams involved in teasers, uh, six-point teases this week, and one of them was the Green Bay Packers, who were six-point favorites at home to the one-in-five Minnesota Vikings. They, they, they lost. Not only did Packers not cover, they lose at home, down by two touchdowns for a large chunk of this game. I'm slightly confused as to what Green Bay is doing. They're 4-0, then they got blown out, then they blew a team out, and now they've lost again. They're now 5-2. and two. I think I'm even more con- confused by Minnesota because they were 1-5 and five and pl- had a really good game in Green Bay, and Dalvin Cook ran all over the place, and they're now 2-5. and five. The NFL is weird, man, and I don't know what to do. The Los Angeles Chargers, they had another collapse. Uh... They seemingly are having fourth-quarter leads in every single one of their games and then blow these double-digit leads and lose at the last second. Patriots lose uh, in a game. Jump in here, guys, with thoughts on the NFL. Patriots are now 2-5. and five. Uh, They were supposed to have a chip shot game-tying field goal, and then Newton just fumbled the game away, and they lose by three. What is happening in the NFL? Uh, well, let's start with that one because we do need a little positivity here on Pod Like a Raven. The Patriots are dead. They are dead. They are done. Bill Belichick is out here talking about the reason that they're so bad is the salary cap. He's blaming the salary cap. He's not blaming the fact that the last pro bowler he drafted was Jamie Collins. That their just drafts have been absolutely horrible. They are two and five. Cam Newton fumbles at the very end of the game to lose to the Bills, which is just the complete opposite of what it would have been in any other year. Um, They're not making the playoffs. Guys, guys. The New England Patriots are not going to make the playoffs. That's amazing. I would rather the Cleveland Browns in there than the New England Patriots at this point. And to them to lose to the Bills, who admittedly I didn't think was that, who were that convincing anyway, excuse me, um, just to lose to that team the way they played. Josh Allen for MVP is uh, quickly died. Um, I what a campaign the, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a flash in the pan uh, to – to the most extent there. They win 24-21, the Bills do over the Patriots. And the Patriots do not have a lot of talent on that roster, which is just insane to me for what they were for so, so long, and now it's all gone kaput. Um, and outside of that, the only other thing I know, I mean, you, you pretty much nailed it. The Chargers, I don't know if there's a more heartbreaking <laughs> place to be a fan outside of the lack that they probably just don't have that many fans anymore. Um, than the way the Chargers lose games now, which is insane to me. Um, the only other note I have, Seahawks, DK Metcalf, real good at football. Like He's the case for, hey, draft the athlete and you'll figure it out, and he certainly has. He went 12 receptions, 116 yard, 161 yards, excuse me, and two touchdowns. So Seahawks, man, 6-1. and one. Uh, The Niners on Monday announced that Garoppolo is probably going on IR. George Kittle is out for eight weeks. He'll be on IR. So they kind of look done there. But the Seahawks, man, they are they are fun to watch, and they are dangerous, and they should be there late into the season as well. So the only two things I want to touch on is what Tim mentioned. Uh, so Bill Belichick said this today on WEEI regarding the cap and just the Patriots. 
Uh, he said, quote, I mean, look, we paid Cam Newton one million. It's obvious that we didn't have any money. It's nobody's fault. That's what we did the last five years. We sold out. We won three Super Bowls, played in a fourth, and played in an AFC championship game. That sounds like a guy that's throwing in the towel on this season. <laughs> uh, and then um, I'll, I'll be honest and forthright with our, our listeners here. I was so distraught by the end of that Ravens game yesterday uh, that I only watched one other NFL game uh, live yesterday. And that was the Dallas Cowboys traveling to the city of brotherly love to play the Philadelphia Eagles and an absolutely just horrendous <laughs> Sunday night game. Danucci, Danucci. Yeah, Ben Danucci, James Madison's own uh, versus Carson Wentz, who just he. This guy used to be good, and now in year five, he just throws the most confounding interceptions I've ever seen. I would absolutely lose my mind if I was an Eagles fan. But I wanted to bring that game up just to say, watching that clown show. Um, actually made me feel better about the Ravens. Uh, when you look around the NFL, and as we just mentioned, at all the weird results, the NFL is such a strange league. It's a deeply weird league. There's so much week-to-week variance. The Ravens are a good team. It was frustrating how they lost. They should have won. They blew the game. And, you know, obviously losing Ronnie Stanley hurts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the Ravens are going to make the playoffs. They're a good team. Uh... And they still have everything ahead of them. There's so much, many, many, many worse situations to be in. Instead of complaining about Lamar Jackson's turnovers, we could be saying, talking about, uh, t- you know, talking ourselves into Ben DiNucci for a game and Garrett Gilbert as our backup. So it's all is not lost. That's all I wanted to say is it could always be worse in the NFL. And I think uh, looking at some of the other games this weekend kind of proved that. <laughs> and speaking of playoffs, I do want to do one thing before we move on, because this is if you don't know how podcasts work, this is recorded. We're not doing this live as you listen to it on your favorite podcast feed. There is some breaking news that is happening as we record this from Chris Mortensen of ESPN talking of playoffs. And we don't have to go too much on this. I think we would all be against this idea, but I quote his tweets. The NFL competition committee expects to expects to present a resolution to owners based on a contingency of having a 16 team playoff eight teams in each conference if games are lost due to the pandemic especially as bye weeks disappear according to league sources the committee met today via zoom the contingency if necessary would take the four division champions and the four wild card teams from each of the afc and nfc so your matchups no bye weeks would be 1v8 2v7 3v6 and 4v5 so boys it might not even matter about the bye 16-team playoff will definitely be in, and we don't have to worry about the Chiefs resting the whole time. It'll be it'll be grand. I'm, I'm doing a quick dive at the standings. That There's like a 80% chance that would put us traveling to Tennessee or something. That'd be a fun game to have to relive as, as a first-round playoff matchup, but I I wonder how likely that is to happen. They I mean, they haven't had to cancel games yet, and they've had a couple of fl- as bad of flare-ups as they possibly could. I mean, they've moved a few, but they haven't had to just sort of dare I say, punt on a game uh, yet this season. I guess you're right. As the, as the buys disappear, that's going to get harder and harder. I, I'll i be annoyed. I just tend to get annoyed when too many teams go to the playoffs. I have this like ethical problem that 50% of the teams should not be rewarded to go to the playoffs. 
But then again, I don't like try to make money for the NFL, so I'm sure they would love this idea of having eight, eight teams play playoff games and, and getting a few extra markets in there. So I guess we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But Jace, thoughts on uh, eight teams? Th- thoughts on the Ravens traveling to Tennessee for the first playoff game? Oh, well, I hate that. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the playoffs in general, I think Stanley's injury, and if there is one positive to take out of losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers... Uh, and obviously, a change playoffs would sort of alter this. But yesterday's loss kind of really, I think, locked into place what the Ravens' season will be. They're, you know, probably playing on Wild Card Weekend. Maybe this takes pressure off of them because they're not probably going to be the favorite too much, except this week against another good team. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I hate the idea of playing Tennessee, but as we kind of mentioned earlier in the show... To win the Super Bowl, you have to beat good teams. That's who usually makes the playoffs, and now obviously expanding the field would dilute that. But so maybe that helps the Ravens to have some of these good teams get knocked off, and you beat, say, the Cleveland Browns as the number eight seed in a playoff game. So I don't absolutely hate it. I think obviously more playoffs always increases the Ravens' chances of getting in the playoffs. So and this season's so strange anyway, and without Ronnie Stanley, I'm I'm gonna say whatever the Ravens do, kind of from here on out is is good with me. <laughs> All right, let's move off of the NFL now. We're going to preview the Ravens-Colts game, but first, Tim Horsey, you're up this week for Random Raven. Uh, who do you have for us? All right, I got five clues for you. I will say they are a little general, so I'll try and think of something <laughs> uh, towards the end if needed. But this guy is a pretty, you know, we've talked about this a number of times. This guy's a pretty famous Random Raven, so you'll see if he if you'll get them. And I have some clues that should definitely help you guys get them. And, and we want the listeners to participate as well. So if, if we need to make them a little easier, we can as we go. But we'll start with our five here. Clue number one. This two-time Pro Bowler and one-time All-Pro played for the Ravens from 2007 to 2010. He played in all but one game across those four seasons. Only missed one game in four years with the Ravens. Made two Pro Bowls and an All-Pro. Outside of the Ravens, the other two teams he played for were AFC West teams. Clue number three. He scored 14 touchdowns for the Ravens in his four seasons, but 11 of those, 11 of those came in 2008. Clue number four. He is one of 11 players drafted by the Ravens from his college. And I will say there are only two schools that the Ravens have drafted 11 players from. Clue number five, he wore two different numbers for the Ravens in his career. And I can safely say that he is the most well-known Raven to wear both of those numbers, at least for his time with the team. I, I had no idea, and then I was positive, and now I'm back somewhere in the middle. <laughs> all right. Tim, a clarification on one of the clues. Sure. The two Pro Bowls and All-Pro, that was with the Ravens in that 2007 to 2010? With the Ravens, yes. He, okay. And I will, I will double-check that right now, but I can almost guarantee that. Yes, so the two Pro Bowls were 2008-2009. The All-Pro was 2008, the year that he had 11 touchdowns. <laughs> I think I, I know who it is. But. Yeah, I haven't. Have we not done this player yet? 
We have and not done this guy yet. We have not done this guy yet. Wow. All right. Well, a uh, couple of maybes from the two co-hosts. We're going to move on and let the listener come up with uh, an answer there. Um, thank you, Tim. And now let's preview. We got to shake off, guys. Shake off the the pain and anguish, mm-hmm. and we got to preview the next game. It's about you know on to Indianapolis. The Ravens playing at the Colts this Sunday, one o'clock. Colts have been one of the weirder teams this year in what has been a weird NFL season. They're five and two with losses to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns. And then they've beaten everybody else, wins against the Vikings, Jets, Bears, Bengals, and Lions. Not a murderer's row of wins. Couple of horrendous losses, in theory, depending on where you stand on on the Browns. Let's start, guys. Um, I mean, you know, first thoughts on this game, and then let's turn to Ravens offense versus Colts defense here. Is it about the running game? Will the Ravens transition to... uh, running the ball 30 to 40 times per game with their uh, shuffles up front on the offensive line. I think that's the number one key for me, especially because uh, the Steelers were a really good run defense that they shredded. And now here we head to Indianapolis with uh, who the Colts have the number two run defense in the NFL right now. Um, So I think this is the game we will see if it is something that is here to stay or if it is, you know, was a weird flash in the pan that somehow the Steelers weren't prepared for the Ravens to run. Uh, that seems unlikely, but uh, I think this is the game that will really lock in. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see if the Ravens running game is quote unquote back. And I think we'll see uh, if it's JK Dobbins who get is uh, the guy who, you know, the bell cow back now. Um, I think this is the game to officially determine that. So for me, I think that's the number one thing you have to focus on. Just given the strength, the Colts D has been pretty nasty this year. And um, so if they can run on them, I think that uh, bodes well for the Ravens the rest of this season. Yeah. The Colts D is really good. I mean, it, it is the backbone of that, of that side. They're, they're third in total yards allowed uh, under 300 yards a game, second in rushing yards allowed and fifth in points allowed to go with a league high 11 interceptions this year. Good defense. Um, that being said, the Ravens just shredded one of the best defenses in the NFL on the ground, and a lot of that, like Jace mentioned earlier, without their star offensive lineman. Uh, they still don't know about Mark Ingram for this game. So on the offensive side of the ball, I think the Ravens can dominate via the run. Now the problem is, will the Colts know that? Will the Colts know that, hey, their best pass protector's out, they might want to protect Lamar in a big game again? Let's just th- let's just stack the box and see if we can stop J.K. Dobbins. Now, those stats we read out earlier about old J.K., I don't know if you can stop J.K. Dobbins. He might be the next best thing since sliced bread at the running back position, but who knows. The Colts overall, I mean, you, you nailed it, Antonio. They're, they're weird. Their losses are to the Jaguars and the Browns. The Jaguars and the Browns. And they've beaten the Vikings, the Jets, the Bears, the Bengals and the Lions. The best team they faced is probably the Bears, and they won that game nineteen to eleven in a very strange game. This is this is the stretch for them where it's basically a prove it stretch. They have the Baltimore Ravens, then they go to the Tennessee Titans in a primetime game, then home to the Packers, and then home against the Titans in two very crucial division games for them. So, this is the first of are the Colts for real? Now that 
does scare me a little bit because maybe they are really for real and the five and two record is justified. I tend to lean that that record might be a little better than uh, than they actually are, especially with old Philip Rivers slinging the ball around. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this Colts defense because the numbers look great. And then, as you say, you look at the opponents and you look at who they held to, to low numbers the Vikings, I mean, I, who knows about the Vikings, but they've certainly looked bad offensively for large stretches. They gave up 11 points to the Vikings, 7 points to the Jets, which is maybe too many points to be giving up to the Jets, <laughs> and then 11 points to an equally horrendous Bears offense that they have not gotten that right all season. And those three games, I think, really weigh how few points they've given up compared to some of those more middle-of-the-road teams and the two losses that they've had, obviously, I I like I look forward to this opportunity. This is my like politician at the podium. I look forward to the opportunity that the Ravens have to keep going with what they were able to get from the Steelers game on the ground. Let's see this continuation. They've been unable, first of all, to put 60 minutes of offensive football together. Number two, they've been unable to carry over the run game from one week to the next. Whenever they had success, they seem to struggle the following week. Let's see two weeks in a row of this really strong offensive running attack. I'm, I, I almost don't want Ingram to play, and I hate to say that, but I want to see Dobbins more. He looks unstoppable. He has so much power and the, the mix of power, balance, and speed. He looks awesome. I want to see him get 15 to 20 carries. I want to see Lamar get 15 to 20 carries and maybe a few uh, less passing attempts to, to try to remove some of those mistakes. Um, and the last thing offensively that we, we didn't talk about in the sort of post game of the Steelers talk is the little frustration by Hollywood Brown. And look, I, I tend to not read into player tweets, agent tweets a lot. A lot of that stuff is done in the heat of the moment. They get upset. They're young guys and they tweet something out and then, you know, 24 hours later they regret it or somebody tells them to delete it and the matter is sort of forgotten Hollywood tweeting uh, about that he's not happy. I'm not going to quote him, uh, but he's not happy with the lack of targets, uh, even though he caught a touchdown, almost had a second touchdown on an unbelievable catch where he just couldn't get the second toe tap in. But Hollywood unhappy with the targets. I don't know what's really going to change there. Again, this is not an offense that they spread the ball around to to all the wide receivers. The tweet has since been deleted. Uh, Thoughts on the malcontent of of Hollywood Brown adding to the list of players or players' agents uh, being angry with something or other with this Ravens team. Yeah, so let's count these up real quick after a loss (laughs) to the Steelers. Stanley, out. Humphrey, out for at least 10 days. J.K. Dobbins' agent going all free J.K. Lamar with four turnovers in a game because he did have that second fumble that we forgot about. And then Hollywood Brown basically saying, you got to get the ball to your soldiers, which apparently he's one of those. Um, it's weird. I don't know. It's, is it bad of me to bring up that he is Antonio Brown's cousin? And like, maybe there's a little something there. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest they're the same guy. That's clearly not how this works. You know, I'm, I'm very different from a lot of my blood relatives, but you see that. And just because they're both in the spotlight and they're both very famous athletes, you initially make the one-two connection, and and I don't know. Let's let's see it. I would also say Hollywood. You knew what was working in the game. You knew the running game was working, and 
the other thing that really doesn't, you know, like you say, Antonio, I don't read it too much into tweets, but the other thing that really doesn't concern me now is also the fact that he is like best friends with Lamar. They, they're always hanging out together. They're always taking their pictures together. If they have a problem, those two will get it sorted out. It, it was a tweet that came in a frustrating loss. Harbaugh called him and he immediately deleted the tweet. You know, he didn't fire back at, at, at Harbaugh and say, no, I'm keeping it up. This is my own private social media, yada, yada, yada. So I tend not to look at it more. I will say Harbaugh has been known in the past to, at halftime, ream out his offensive and defensive coordinators if he doesn't like what's being called on either side of the football. Maybe we'll get some get Hollywood the ball plays in the next couple of weeks. I mean, look, we talk about how much we love Devin DuVarnay and what he brings and some of the reverses and screen passes and stuff we bring. You know who's really good at that too? The first round pick from last year, Hollywood Brown. He's really good at that stuff. That's one of the places he excels. So maybe this is a game where we see him almost force-fed the ball in a way uh, because of his frustrations. And you know what? He's he's one of their best playmakers. That's not a bad thing. So I kind of follow both sides of the fence in regards to I get where Hollywood is coming from. The Ravens don't have enough weapons for the few guys who are super talented they do have to just not be getting the ball as regularly as he is. Like, he should be getting the ball a lot more than he is. And same with Andrews. Mark Andrews had three catches yesterday, and one we talked about was almost an accident Lamar threw to him on a, on a scramble. Uh, so it is, and I, you know, part of that could be those are the two weapons teams know the Ravens have, so they key on those guys. But I still think Greg Roman does have to find a way to get them the ball more. Uh, Hollywood especially. That being said, to your point, Tim, uh, they had 450 yards of offense yesterday. It was they were producing. The offense was largely working <laughs> in terms of moving the ball. So that's where I'm kind of like, hey man, yeah, you, you want more catches, but like you had one of the three touchdowns they scored. So I, <laughs> I don't know how much you know more they want the ball. I want I, the only other thing I want to add. So like I see where he's coming from, but at the same time, they were running so well. So why? deviate from that uh you mentioned what he said tim and i just wanted i don't know if you all saw harbaugh's response to that today it was super funny so i just want to relay it here uh so hollywood said what's the point of having soldiers if you never use them to which harbaugh said today he did play the game like a soldier he was fighting very hard out there (laughs) which is very john harbaugh uh, a very john harbaugh response to the situation but uh yeah, I don't really have anything more to add, but uh, I saw that response and was like, yeah, that is how John Harbaugh would reply <laughs> to a tweet like this. So I don't think it's anything to be concerned about long term, but I definitely get where he was coming from frustration wise. So before we before we get to the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens, I just want to say too, Darius Leonard returned against the Lions for the Colts and he's really good. He's a very, very good linebacker. So expect him to wreak some havoc. But uh, Antonio, what do you think about this? Colts offense, Philip Rivers, the old gunslinger, one year, $25 million to come do- to run the Indianapolis Colts up against this secondary without Marlon Humphrey. What are we thinking? I looked up like the Philip Rivers Wikipedia today in-, in prepping for this game because he's such a weird guy. I didn't remember how old he was. I knew he was old, and I wasn't sure how old. And the, the $25 million to the 38-year-old is, is something that I can, only, I can only dream to achieve when I'm 38 years old doing some sort of athletic endeavor. Yeah, this sentence, I, I wrote in the notes, Philip Rivers versus a thin Ravens secondary seems like a headline from 2008, 
or 2010 or 2012. And yet it's still happening in 2020, and I don't have as much faith in Philip Rivers against a thin Ravens secondary as I would have when he was 28 years old or 35 years old. Um, I think he's going to make mistakes. I think he's done that. I don't think he throws the ball deep very well. He's sort of fallen into this collection of quarterbacks over the age of 35 that are trying to complete seven-yard passes all the way down the field, and I think that's going to work to the Ravens' benefit. I think they stomp out the run defensively. Um, Indianapolis down uh, Mack, their starting running back to start the season, who was supposed to have a, had a great year last year, was supposed to continue that and is out for the year. They've sort of used a few different uh, backs, Jordan Wilkins, Jonathan Taylor. Those guys, those names do not bother me. Those names do not scare me. Um, and I think this is where the Ravens may have more success is on the defensive side of the ball, actually. They'll force two turnovers. Phillip gets sacked multiple times. Ngakwe, he he records uh, sack number one with the Ravens uh, in this game. And I just, I don't, I can't believe that that 38-year-old Phillip Rivers is is going to torch this defense. Yeah, Phil famously uh, can't run and is uh, mistake-prone in a way like a Ben Roethlisberger, say, is not. <laughs> um, so it definitely even uh, seems to be to the Ravens' benefit even without... Uh, Marlon Humphrey. I guess we should just say as a caveat, uh, obviously something to monitor is Ravens coronavirus test results for the rest of the week. Um, depending on, because Marlon Humphrey's positive was revealed today, uh, the day we record on Monday, which would seemingly indicate he had COVID when he played an NFL game on Sunday. But I don't know how the system fully works. But that's definitely something to monitor if other players will be forced out from this game. Uh, they're doing isolating protocols, which I assume would result with in the other defensive backs uh, having to go into isolation or at least uh, for contact tracing purposes and testing. Uh, so that's obviously something to just uh, keep an eye on <laughs> the remainder of this week. But I think, assuming Marlon's the only guy out, I, I like the Ravens' chances in this game uh, for sure. After watching Bonds get picked on, and the two weeks before Gilchrist get picked on and then was quickly released from the team, the fact that Jimmy Smith and Marlon Humphrey are, or excuse me, uh, Marcus Peters, two very solid corners, but they can go three wide now, four wide, and bring out these defensive backs that nobody wants to see on the field because Marlon Humphrey has confirmed he will not be playing this weekend against Indianapolis. Rivers in his last two games, by the way, 52 of 77 for 633 yards, six touchdowns, and one interception. So he's been cooking. We talked about the records. I mean, it's against the Lions and the team they played two weeks ago, the Bengals. So not the best defenses in the NFL by any stretch of the imagination, but that actually does worry me. You just hope they can get after them. The, the, you know, the Colts have a good offensive line. I mean, Quentin Nelson is an absolute monster at guard, but – Maybe the Ravens can generate some pass, uh, some pressure on the outside. It's going to be interesting to watch. Another guy we should note, T.Y. Hilton, was injured in that game against the Lions. He might not go. So if you're taking out Marlon Humphrey, take out T.Y. Hilton. That takes out the number ones on each side of the football there. That significantly helps the Ravens. But I do worry what happens because, look, offenses now go three wide, four wide consistently. The Steelers started going empty and letting Ben call plays when they saw the Ravens didn't have the secondary to match. That could be a problem against a savvy quarterback. Um, And if you just look at NFL all-time passing stats, 
Number seven, Ben Roethlisberger with 58,000 yards. Phillip Rivers is number six with 61,000 yards and 61,131 yards. So I don't know. I'm nervous. Uh, I think Indy's not as good as a record, but I think that the Ravens have some significant holes that could end up being a problem. With that, guys, let's get into our picks. I mean, feel free to bring up any other points you want to make as you as you uh, give your pick. The Ravens listed on the road as three-point favorites at the Indianapolis Colts. And without hesitation, I'm taking Baltimore. It's Baltimore. They win this game by 10, I, maybe more. I, maybe I'm, I'm just over-the-top optimistic in this game, but the Steelers are good. They lost a tough, close game where they had more yards. They were the better team. They just made too many mistakes. Big, gigantic, glaring mistakes. And it was still a four-point game where the Ravens had a chance to win on the last play of the game. I think the Colts are not that same level of competition. And I think the Ravens are going to be okay just because of that. I think they run for 200 yards, uh, take control of this game, and we're back to wondering how good this team is and whether they can beat any really, really good teams that I don't think the Colts are. So I'm taking the Ravens. And then my other few picks, uh, I guess I should mention last week, uh, unfortunately, I was I was right on the picking the Steelers. My tees, uh, my three-team tees got crushed by two one-and-five teams that decided to win games all of a sudden, but that's fine. 14-4 and four on the season, and I'm going to keep rolling this week. Baltimore minus three. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're playing tonight. We have not seen them tonight yet, so I'm actually going to jump on this line now. Before they blast the New York Giants, they are hosting New Orleans next week, and they are four-and-a-half-point favorites. New Orleans beat them uh, week, I believe, week one uh, of the season. New Orleans is is unbelievably confusing. Drew Brees does not throw the ball for more over ten yards in the air. He just doesn't do it ever, uh, and they have to make these fifteen play drives to score. I do not think they keep up with Tampa Bay. I'm all over that Tampa Bay at minus four and a half, and then Kansas City, the Chiefs hosting Carolina. They are ten and a half point favorites. That ten and a half does not scare me. The Chiefs are blowing everyone out. They're scary, good. I just don't think Carolina, on their best day, can put up enough points to keep up with Kansas City. Carolina seems like a team that maybe will put up 20 points maximum, and I just don't, I see Kansas City blasting through that and winning this game by, by 14, 15 points. So those are my three picks this week. Ravens getting back on track, Tampa Bay, and Kansas City. I am on, I believe, two straight winless weeks, but undeadered, I am also picking the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> I, similar to Antonio, I think uh, we get a big bounce back from Lamar Jackson. I, 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 As much as he was to blame, and I think almost solely to blame in many respects for Sunday's loss, in that game, he doubled his interceptions for the season, and he doubled his fumbles on the season. Uh, with uh, two and three respectively just on Sunday. So he is usually pretty careful with the ball. And I think if he gets it cleaned up, it seems like the running game's found a little something. I think they get a win. I think you're going to see a somewhat desperate Ravens team. Uh, they need this win to kind of keep pace. If they want if they want any chance to still win the AFC North, they, uh, they can't really afford too many losses uh, before they play the Steelers on Thanksgiving. Um, so I'm picking the Ravens for the same reasons as Antonio at, uh, you know, minus uh, three there. And then the other picks I'm going with, I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks as three-point favorites 
uh, on the road to the Buffalo Bills. I have not been especially impressed with the Bills recently. Um, they started hot, but they just don't seem... The offense gets bogged down, gets Josh Allen-y. Uh, and, uh, the defense is certainly a cut below what it was last year. And uh, Russell Wilson and company, you know, had a, he had another four touchdowns uh, Sunday. So bounced back in a big way. So I'm going with the Seahawks, even though they have to, you know, go west to east. Um, and then the final one, uh, I'm just taking out a principle, uh, is I am taking the Denver Broncos in Atlanta as four-point underdogs. Broncos at plus four. The Atlanta Falcons should not be favored against a single team. I don't care that they've won two of their three games with Raheem Morris. You cannot bet on the Atlanta Falcons to win a game. Drew Locke, you know, game winner in dramatic fashion uh, on Sunday, coming off a high. The Broncos, a little better record than you even think they have, actually. They have, uh, I believe they're 3-4. and four. Um, And so, yeah, I'm taking the Broncos. The Falcons should never be favored against anyone. So, out of principle, I'm taking the Broncos at uh, plus four. Four free points for you there, Jace. Of course. There you go. Uh, I, unfortunately, won Pittsburgh as well. Um, I did win. Kansas City minus 19 and a half away to the Jets. Uh, I just, you have to take that when it's there. You have to take uh, it, and I won that bet. That's so funny. Um, and I lost Tennessee minus five and a half away to Cincinnati. I thought they'd rebound, but you know what? Maybe they're just not nearly as good as we thought they were. So before I give my Baltimore pick, I'm picking Chicago plus five and a half away to Tennessee. I think Chicago's offense is absolutely dreadful to watch. I think Nick Foles. I mean, he won a Super Bowl, but it, is he is he Trent Dilfer level of quarterbacks to ever win a Super Bowl? There is a debate to be had there. Um, I think Tennessee might still win it, but five and a half with that defense, even if Derrick Henry runs for a buck fifty, that defense is too good to let both faces of the ball, uh, offense beat them. So I think even if Tennessee wins, they're not winning by more than five and a half points. So give me Chicago plus five and a half there. And then Jay said it all about Seattle. I've got Seattle minus three away to Buffalo, too. Buffalo not as great. And especially with no crowd, the West versus East or West traveling East thing doesn't bother me as much, even though Seattle does struggle with that a lot. They're on a different level this year. I think they'll be fine. For my Ravens pick, I can't go against what I've been talking about this entire show. So I'm taking Indy plus three. I think the Ravens could bounce back. Um, I'm still expecting sort of in the way that I last uh, last week when we were talking about this Pittsburgh game, I picked Pittsburgh minus three and a half saying Baltimore win by three. So Pittsburgh cover, I can still see that one or two point game. I think the Colts defense will show that they are legit. I think they have enough playmakers there that it might be a difficult game for the Ravens again in both phases of the ball, even if the running game is strong. And you know what? Not that not that my opinion matters and not that he's listening, but this is a big game. This is a 5-2 and two team, even if they aren't as good as their record. This is a 5-2 and two team that has a good quarterback, a good defense, and some weapons. Um, Lamar, show it to me. Show it to me. Uh, and that that's pretty much it. So give me Indy plus three. All right, last thing to wrap up is the random Raven. Tim, why don't you give us those clues one more time, and I'm going to say my – Guess at some point that I'm very much in the middle about. Not sure and not doubting. Okay. Uh, yeah, and if you guys want bonus clues, I can give those as well. But I figure maybe you should just do the guess instead. This two-time Pro Bowler and one-time All-Pro played for the Ravens from 2007 to 2010. He played in all but one game across those four seasons. Outside of the Ravens, he played for two AFC West teams in his career. He scored 14 touchdowns for the Ravens in those four seasons. 
but 11 of those came in 2008. He is one of 11 players, excuse me, drafted by the Ravens from his college, and there are only two teams that have had 11 players drafted from their particular college by the Baltimore Ravens. He was from one of those two. Clue number five, he wore two different numbers for the Ravens in his career, and I can safely say that he is the most well-known Raven to wear these numbers, at least for his time, or at least well-known for his time with the team. Put that little caveat there as well. So, so I have a guess here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab. Uh, okay. And I wasn't sure about the draft note, and then you read it again, and that helped sort of solidify that he went to one of these, or this, I should say, this big school. I'm going to say it's Leron McLean getting all those TDs in that one season where he was this, like, fullback, running back hybrid. Uh, and that's why he's an all-pro, because he took it as a fullback instead of a running back. And that's so that's the, what I'm sort of pulling at here. I don't know if Jace has another guess. Uh, that's exactly who I thought uh, for exact same reasons. I was like, I, I don't know if it even still is, but fullback definitely used to have its own separate all-pro designation, I'm pretty sure. So... Uh, I also, for the exact same reasons, thought it was Leron McLean. Went to Bama, I believe. Is that the school? Uh, we'll let Tim answer here, I guess. <laughs> so to take you behind the curtain, um, I admittedly forgot it was my week for the Random Raven. So, of course, I picked my pav- favorite position on the field, which is fullback. Yes, it is Leron McLean. He did go to Alabama. We did Jameel McLean uh, before <laughs> as a Random Raven. That's why I would have said the other bonus clues would have been the numbers were 33 and 37. Uh, I had to put that caveat in there because Deion Sanders did wear 37 in his time with the Ravens, but I think McLean is more well-known for that during his time. And he rushed for over 900 yards in that 2008 season. That was the McGahee, Rice in his rookie year, and McLean running for tons and tons of yardage because they couldn't throw the ball because they never could. Um, and, yeah, that was Leron McLean, one of my – he definitely goes on my Mount Rushmore of Ravens fullbacks. But... 11 touchdowns. I did not realize he scored that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he is, he's probably, he definitely in his time was my favorite fullback. But now, I mean, Vontae Leach came after him, and now our, our boy Patty Ricard is a Project Pat podcast. So he might be third now with maybe, let's see, Ovi Mahaley coming in at a nice fourth for Ravens fullbacks. I, I like the framing of uh, the Random Raven this week without naming... Uh, the position or like yardage or what kind of information, just touchdowns. That's a sort of, you can, you cut right to it, Tim. Leron McLean, fast, one of the original, like rumbling, tumbling, bumbling Ravens backs, uh, and certainly a random Raven. That's going to do it for us guys. Tough week this week. I think we got a lot off our chest and we will see how the Ravens respond traveling to Indianapolis this week. Uh, great to talk with you guys as always for Jace Evans and Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you all for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you, hopefully with some better stuff to talk about, next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.